0: You are listening to The Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Hey guys, Jason here with Spectrum Labs. Just wrapped up a very exciting podcast with Michael Patterson. He's the CEO of US Cannabis Research and Development LLC. It was really timely for me. I certainly took a lot of notes and learned a lot from Michael. As a hemp extractor where we've been really busy, we've been fortunate to be really busy completing a lot of extraction projects and a lot of work for white label clients. And so we've just had our head down doing work grinding looking forward to building a good company and every once in a while we we look up and we consider where should we go next Uh, are we thinking about the right direction to take our company with all the different things that are happening in the industry from regulation to uh, the market supply and demand all that kind of stuff so this was a really insightful conversation with Michael just because he had, he had a lot of those insights about what he sees is happening with the hemp market and the cannabis market in the United States and also internationally. That A couple of things that he said blew my mind a little bit because we haven't considered much of that international expansion. So Michael's bio is in the show notes. So take a look at that and ways to reach him. And I hope that you get as much as I did because Michael had a lot to share and he's a super exciting guy really entertaining and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael Patterson. Michael welcome to the hemp startup journey thank you so much for joining me today. Jason thanks you so much for having me glad to be here. Awesome. I'm uh, really looking for, forward to this conversation. You, uh, I feel like you know a lot about a lot of different things in this industry. So I'm really excited to dig in. Um, so because you, you do so many things, if you're at a networking event, when somebody asks you, oh, hey, Michael, nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer
1: that? It's a great question. And so just so everybody who's know who's listening, when I listen to podcasts, I like to have a good time. And so my pledge to uh, you and I and Jason, we're going to have a good time. And hope you guys like that because that's how I learn. And so people just being real. And so to answer that question, Jason, is I usually say when they say, what do you do? I said, we're the Halliburton of weed. (laughs) Like, what does that mean? (laughs) And I say, (laughs) I say, we are the front door to the industry. So what we do is the easiest way I can explain what we do is. Our whole mission statement of U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical Research and Development, my company, is to move society forward through legalized cannabis. It didn't say grow a bunch of weed and make a lot of money because what we're finding is if you can find focus on the choke points of this industry you can move the industry forward and you can make a lot of money. And so what we do is we go out and try to work in the areas of the 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 choke points of the industry. Some of which are banking. Banking is a huge issue right now. We work with a lot of a lot of uh partners who deal in the banking sector. Another is um Fundraising. We work with a lot of venture capital firms on on looking at deals and helping them understand if this hemp deal or this cannabis deal is right. We do a lot of I do a lot of public speaking. I speak all over the world now at cannabis and hemp events. I just got asked to speak at an IT event, uh, and and I said it, I got to tell you this. It, so it's IT Expo, I think, in Fort Lauderdale in February, and so right. they call me from LinkedIn and they're like, "Hey man, we want us, you to speak at our event," and it's an IT event, and I'm like. Okay, I really don't know much about IT, but I could tell you everything you want to know about cannabis. He goes, "Oh, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. So we're going to do this new event. They're doing a new day where they're going to have cannabis and IT." And so I'm going to be speaking about basically the the cannabis, what I call the cannabis 101. And so what I find a lot of times, mm-hmm. Jason, is what we do is we educate clients uh, on what the industry is doing right now and how to potentially move forward. Uh, some of the examples of the things we're working on, we're applying or actually uh, uh, raising funds to buy a medical marijuana license in the state of Florida. Why? Because we feel we need to show people what the next generation of medical cannabis uh, support is, and service is going to be. Uh, Um, I come from a heavy medical background. I'm a licensed occupational therapist. I'm a nursing home administrator. I ran a nursing home chain called Avante. It's uh, up and down the East Coast. We did about $220 million a year in total revenues. We had a staff of over 2,500 employees. So I'm very uh, astute in healthcare business. And so a lot of times you see in the cannabis space that the people who are going to win in the long run are focusing on wellness and they're focusing on science. So A lot of times we we advise our clients when you're investing in these types of things um, the the value long term is going to be the medical component of this business and so uh, we're working on projects right now uh, in uh, the the continent of Africa to set up biomass sales from African nations to other nations in Africa for processing we're working on deals to get biomass medical cannabis biomass from Africa to other countries like Australia and Israel and Canada and so we're also involved in projects uh, getting ready to launch a website site oh, called called unitedhempstore.com um, and so we're partners in that venture too and that's going to be based out of the UK for people to be able to buy CBD products that are trusted lab tested uh, GMP certified and approved because our focus is we try to have our hands in everything because that's what's needed right now our goal is to bring perspective into this industry and to really help people and entre- entrepreneurs and companies Really understand what they're getting into, because something that we find, Jason, is this, this industry is literally changing right in front of our eyes. And so the people who go out mm-hmm. and tell you they know everything about the industry, they're lying. Okay. So they, there, there's just too much to know. And so a lot of times with companies we talk to and people who want to invest and entrepreneurs who are looking to start, we always recommend you need to really look at partnerships. Um, partnerships are very important in this business because by the time you try to learn it all, everybody else is past you. So you really need to find those experts mm-hmm. in the field that can help you. And so what we do is we coordinate talent. So, um, for example, right now, we're, we just put in a bid on a security contract for medical cannabis in uh, a Caribbean nation. Um, that was a request for proposal because we have security people on our team who are former DIA, uh, CIA, former DEA, former NSA. Um, and then we're actually just did another proposal for another Caribbean nation to do curriculum development for their medical school, their nursing school and their pharmacy school to develop their educational curriculum because we have people in our network who are PhDs at universities who can write curriculum. So we're assembling talent across the globe to be able to help entrepreneurs and clients and potential partnerships globally.
0: Okay. So if, uh, if that was us in the conversation and then you would say, what do you do? I would be like, I can't, I can't top that. Michael, I can't. <laughs> I'm not trying to top it. I can't. I, uh, like my thing is, what I've
1: learned is when I came in, and so when I came out of this, I've been doing this now since late 2013, so almost seven years. And so um, as, a, as a nursing home administrator, if you're not familiar, the nursing home industry is the most regulated and litigious in America. It's not sexy. People don't look at you and say, hey, wow, he runs nursing homes. He must be cool. You know, so we, we focused on mm-hmm. a very re- regulated litigious market. And so I saw a lot of patients in our facility who are just decimated by opiates, taking uh, so many medications. The average uh, medication usage for people over 65 in the U.S. is 13 drugs a day. So people are just getting tired of it. And so um, I've always been a cannabis uh, fan and the fact of what it can do. And I thought it, it's it's something that needs to be um, pushed over, uh, pushed over the over the, the well or whatever you want to call it to the point where we can make it move more socially acceptable. And and one of the things that, that I've seen is that we have to make this socially acceptable to move the needle. And so part of our goal is to put people who are professional in that light to talk. And that's one of the reasons I do so many podcasts and I do talk is to let other people know if you're in a professional background, you need to start coming in this industry because we're at this pinnacle mm-hmm. in the cannabis space right now to where the, the early adopters, as I call them, and people might know them as the stoners or the tree huggers or whatever those people are starting to fall by the wayside and the reason being is everything's going corporate everything's publicly traded now you're dealing with margins that's why you're seeing the market all in flux right now and so we're getting ready to move in the cannabis industry 2.0 which is going to require a lot different skills than cannabis industry 1.0 to put this in perspective we have 33 states that are legal medically right now. We have 11 states that are recreationally legal. And we have over 40, 4-0, 40 countries where this is somewhat pseudo-legal, depending on the stage. So we're dealing with governments who are calling our partners to say, we want to set up medical cannabis operations. How do we help? I never thought I'd be doing this stuff, dude. I mean, this is just like, mm-hmm. it's crazy because... If you start now and you start looking at a business model for this or how to get involved, you can really, really do well and and you can really change the world because this is what's going to happen. From a legal aspect, we are at the beginning of everything. One of the biggest problems we have right now is international trade because the law is so new, there's no standardization. So countries cannot Mm. do trade like grain or rice or wheat or anything like that because they don't understand the rules per country. And then you have states, uh, countries like the United States where federally it's illegal, but still it's legal in 33 states. You see what I'm saying? So the law yeah. is going to pay one of the biggest factors moving forward in this business.
0: Yeah. So and I want to get into the, some of the international stuff here in a few minutes. But taking a step back, I'm always curious about how people got into the hemp and cannabis industry because I feel like there's so many different stories. Uh so you mentioned you have a healthcare background, but I'm just curious,
1: what was like what was the catalyst? Like why did you decide to get into this business? It's a great question. So my answer to this is Saul Broida. S A U L last name B R O I D A. Saul Broida was a a World War II veteran. He uh, he was a bomber pilot, and uh, he suffered chronic back pain. He went on and actually got his PhD from University of Miami. And saw when I was a therapist well, years ago, he was 95 years old. This man was a World War II vet. He's a PhD in, I think it was, uh, marine biology or something. Just a brilliant man. Saw all his awards and medals and went to his house. Um, this man was dying in pain. He was dying of, of opiates and and I live in Florida. And so this was in 2014, I think it was, or late 2013. And he kept saying to me, there was a lot of stuff on the news. He was like, you know, Mike, if you can do something about this medical marijuana, I'll go to Tallahassee. I'll testify. And this man weighed a hundred pounds, sopping wet. I mean, he, he, he was, he was actively dying. There's actually a term called actively dying. And so the, he was getting killed by pneumonia and, and he was on opiates. He couldn't eat. and so. Um, I just lost it. I was like, somebody needs to stand up for people like this. And so to me, I've been in senior living all my life. And I remember telling myself, nobody's going to sit there and risk their career and everything to do this right now. So unless I do something, then nobody else is going to follow. So that's how I got started. And from there, I didn't really know what I was going to do. You know, I I had a ton of contacts. I used to work for a private merchant bank called Strategic Capital out of Miami. So I knew the the venture capital game. And we worked a lot of Indian drives. So our first consult was with an Indian tribe out in Washington state. Um, It's called Colville Nation. And so they were interested in doing hemp. So we went out there and talked to them about the current situation of hemp, current situation of medical cannabis, because they're in Washington state. It technically was legal, but yet the tribes didn't believe in it. So we went out there and consulted with them on what are the laws? What are the rules? Where is this going as as an industry? What are the legal ramifications? Can we make money? You know, these are the basic questions people are getting at. And so if you can provide those questions to your clients, they are going to stay with with you. The new law firms in this industry are going to be successful when they bring in a uh, diverse talent. And you and I talked about this offline is, you know, look to hire a cultivator. Mm. Look to hire somebody who has healthcare backgrounds, who's a compliance auditor, somebody who's good in GMP certification. Why? Because then one, if I'm billing them, I can bill them for more hours. And then two, you're providing more of a service. If I can come to you and get all my legal and operational insight and be able to use you throughout my operation and I don't have to go do it myself, I'm all about it because then I can move faster. If you have a whole list of people that have worked in France and France becomes legal and you can go to your clients and say, hey, I got all these lawyers in France right now. We can work on all your projects. You're going to do well because companies are willing to start paying for that type of knowledge. Um, One of the other things that I personally do is I do a lot of consulting through a group called Gerson Lehrman Group, GLG. And so they set up these uh, consulting phone calls with companies all over the world. And so when I started in 2013 with cannabis and hemp, I did maybe two calls a year. Last year, I did 80 calls. And this year, I'm going to do over 120 calls. So what you're finding wow. is it's really starting to pick up globally. Um, Thailand just legalized. Mm-hmm. And when Thailand legalizes, that's your open door to Asia. Um, right now, what we're starting to see is it's starting to be a jobs grab and an economic development grab for countries. So now we're moving past the social mores and we're moving into business. And that's exciting. So now, I mean, it's still dangerous. I mean, in Thailand, you get caught in the wrong place. You can go to prison for a long time with cannabis. So it's still real touch and go. We're actually working with a country in Africa right now who it's technically not legal. The, the group we're working with got a provisional license. And so they're waiting for the final license. But if you get caught there with like a gram, I think, of, of cannabis, you can go to prison for 10 years. So it's, it's really, wow. you really have to, you know, the, the change in the law is going to be profound. And one of the things, if I can offer advice, is when you start going into new markets, especially if you're looking to go global or any, even in a new state, what you find is you go through this social progression, if I could call it. So I call it the prohibition hangover. OK, so you go into these states and you go into these hmm. countries and you literally do the same talk every year, the same talk of every other state that legalizes. You have to go through your world's not going to end. The sky's not going to fall. Your property values aren't going to plummet. You know, you don't want to sit there and and uh, dispensaries in a neighborhood actually increase property values and crime goes down. That's what the studies have shown. And so you really have to just smell all the myths and really try to counteract the 80 years of of negative propaganda on this plant before you can even have a conversation. So the way to do that is specifically as a lawyer is to roll up in there and say, look, I've been in the law for X amount of years and you basically, get, when you're talking to city council members and people in these states, you got to say, look, I know what I'm talking about. I have experts on my team. We deal with this on a so-and-so basis. I've been in your community or I have some sort of uh, relevance to this community in some way, shape or form um, and really put their mind at ease. And so something that that, that we've done, my company's done and me personally, is I went out to Oklahoma before they had their constitutional amendment vote uh, in 2018. And so I went out there, got on TV, got on podcasts before they voted to literally say that. to say, look, sky's not going to fall. World's not going to end. It's not perfect. The way you have your constitutional amendment, you're going to have problems, but you kind of need to start doing it because if you don't do it now, then when? You're going to do it when you're state 47 and there's no jobs left and everything's going to go out to other states or you're going to sit there and make a name for yourself in cannabis. This is a business now. And so I literally start talking to them like you need to start thinking more than just is this morally right? You need to think about how can this industry protect my, my, my community and how can I make if I'm a businessman, how can I make money on it and how can I bring value? And that's what I see is you got to find a way to bring value. And as attorneys, you have a lot of value. You just need to make sure you understand the law portion because people are going to be leaning on you to know that. Um, And you want to know what you're talking about. I went to I won't say where I was. I was speaking at a conference um, and this law firm got up and they start. it, It was I would just tell you it was in a room of very, very educated people. And so this law firm gets up there and they start talking about all how they know the law and how they're great and how they're awesome. Well, then they start regurgitating law from three years ago and the room let them have it. I mean, they basically showed their Mm -hmm. colors and they tried to go up there to say, Hey, you know, we know everything. And this very, very professional crowd was not having any of it. And they almost got booed off the stage. So if you're (laughs) going to go up there, you better know your stuff because you expect to be challenged. And so when, when I, it's funny cause I have a lot of lawyers who talk to me and they're like, you sound like you, you know, you're a lawyer. Are you a lawyer? I was like, and my answer is no, I've just been sued a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you have enough experience. Well, I, I ran oh, nursing homes. Awesome. We were sued all the time. And like we had eight suits sure. at any given time. And so what I learned is I learned all about risk and I learned all about defense. And so every time I go into a situation, situation operationally, I always look at what is our weakest link and how do we fix that link before it becomes a problem? Because remember, if you don't fix those weak links in the nursing home business, you're going to get sued for deaths. You're going to get sued for problems. And so taking that mindset into cannabis <clears throat> excuse me I'm very open to, to people looking to do investments I'm very open to try to help people with their business plans um, uh, because we find that if, if you're successful then that means we're moving the the businesses forward and legalization will push forward because we're we I call myself an economic activist I'm not going to go hold up the signs but I'm going to work within the system to make sure that the right companies succeed and we do this the right way because that's the way we're going to change the law we're going to do it through money and we're going to do it through public action and things for better for the betterment of society we're not going to do it at my point is the advocates got us to this point it's now it's time for you and me and other people to step up and, and show and, and take that baton into cannabis 2.0 and use our skills to change the world all the advocates already did their job and to me yeah. they're sitting back saying, okay, we're passing the baton. You need to take it on. And so it's up to people like us to sit there, step up and really use our skills to move this forward because I have so many people who come to me and are like, yeah, I hate my job and I hate this and I hate that. Well, then do something about it. You know, look at at what you want to do. And I got to tell you right now, I've been doing this seven years. And so I just love what I do. I mean, working in the nursing homes, you could see your life passing in front of you 20 years ahead of time. Because you're doing the same thing. I talk to the people mm-hmm. in the industry now. They're like, oh, get me out of here. Oh, my gosh. It's, you're dealing with, with health care <laughs> and it's more with less and more with less. So anyway, I kind of rambled on there. But, um, you know, that that's kind of the overview of how I got into this and why I do what I do.
0: Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned uh, international. But before we go international, let's talk about the U.S. market. Um, and uh, we spoke briefly a few days ago. You had a, a few things going on, like just... Wherever you want to start, like what, what are some of the, let's say, the top two or three challenges that you're
1: seeing in the, the hemp or cannabis market in the U.S.? Consistency or regulation. So that's mm-hmm. that's the biggest problem that I see. So if I'm a hemp farmer or I'm a processor, OK, so the processor, let me give you a perfect example. So what we're seeing is some of the state law are coming into some sort of standardization. When it comes to um, laboratories, so now we just had the report from the USDA, which came out recently, that said you have to lab test your your samples at a DEA Schedule One lab. Well, now all these laboratories are running around, say, "Well, how do we how do we meet this requirement?" Because let me tell you, the DEA is not handing out Schedule One laboratory licenses very easily. So you're left left scrambling. So that deals with regulation. Also, if I'm a processor or I'm a I'm a grower, then I got to figure out well. What is the the law about moving it across state lines? Yes, it's supposed to be legal, but we all know there's been cases where um, trailer fools of hemp have been seized. There was one in New York a few weeks ago, a couple in, in Oklahoma and in, in Idaho. And so that regulation is going to be uh, very, very difficult. Another thing is oversupply. You know, as of, as we're talking now, the price for biomass is plummeting. Um, To me, processing is staying somewhat stable because there's not as many processors. You can't just roll out and open up a processing plant overnight. So um, with the Mm -hmm. amount of product, I think we're going to go through a lot of carnage over the next year or two of people trying to figure out what their niche is. Why did I get into this? I heard that I can make money hand over fist and this is not happening. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of things where a lot of business plans were going to fail. um, And the ones that are the most thought out and the most well funded, I think, will succeed.
0: Do you think, I keep hearing folks saying that uh, from from the cultivator side, that because the prices are so low right now for biomass or uh, even for f- flour for some folks, that they are storing and will be holding off until the springtime.
1: Have you been hearing that? I have, but then I go into, okay, you mean to tell me that you've already made arrangements to store all your cannabis, excuse me, all your hemp um, ahead of time and you're going to put it in cold storage or humidity storage or whatever you're going to do. That's great. But I just don't think that's a reality from the people that I see getting into this industry. Right now, I mean, let's put it Mm -hmm. in perspective. In 2018, we grew 80,000 acres of hemp in the United States. This year, we grew a half a million. So I've heard from experts to say about half of that is going to be either crop failure, it's going to rot, or it never never actually comes to market because people don't know what they're doing. You know, how do you go from Mm -hmm. 80,000 acres to a half a million acres in a year and expect everybody to be successful? So I think, you know, if they can store it, that's great. And I think the prices will come back. But next year is going to be even worse because I live in a state of Florida and right now they they haven't passed the law yet to grow hemp. And I already know there's going to be at least probably the first year, at least 30 to 40,000 acres planted in Florida. And so far, the only test plots they've done through the University of Florida have all failed. They did it three three areas of growing it around the state. So you plant, say, 30,000 acres, 40,000 acres in Florida in 2020 in the, in the fall, excuse me, in, in the uh, winter and spring, then how much of that is actually going to get to processing? And right now, officially, there's no processing plants in Florida. So I know there's a lot of people looking into that. You know, we're one of the groups who are um, working on that as well, so we know there's going to be a market. But I tell people, if if you want to stay in this business, you got it. One, you got to plan ahead, and two, you got to diversify. And so, when I'm looking at processing, you make sure you have to have specialty formulations. Specialty formulations are the future because anybody can just throw out a product with a certain percentage of CBD. But if I can throw out a product with has a certain percentage of CBD and THCV and CBG, because all these technologies are going to have to evolve over time. Also, another thing with the processors that I see is you have to diversify in what you're processing. So all these farmers who are getting killed on CBD, uh, processing for CBD hemp, they're going to have to start moving over into fiber. If they're smart, they'll start moving next harvest because there's not a lot of hemp processing plants that can do fiber. So where, where we see fiber going is fiber is going to go into clothing the way Tesla went into electric cars, so let me let me give you an example. So when Tesla came out with their cars, did they mm. start with the base model? No. They started with the rock star model, the most expensive model, because they wanted people to think of this as stature and this is, you know, exclusivity and so forth and so on. Well, what we're starting to see in fashion Mm -hmm. is higher end brands, Louis Vuitton, Levi's is starting to come out with a high end brand of hemp slash cotton jean. They're trying to make hemp, hemp, uh, hemp clothing cool and fashionable. And I think that will start to take off in the United States because hemp grows in about four months. Cotton has to take eight months to grow. So if I can grow two crops of hemp for every one of cotton and use 75 to 80% less insecticides, herbicides, and fertilizer, well, then that may make financial sense. So that's where we see that hemp is going to play a role. Um, CBD is going to play a role for a little while. It's, it will always play a role, but you need to be able to diversify into hemp polymers, hemp plastics, hemp clothing, hemp building materials, because if you're processing hemp as a processor, as long as you can evolve with the industry, you'll always be open.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that as a, let's say as a processor, so you're, you're extracting CBD and some of the other cannabinoids. And I'm just thinking some folks listening out there and saying like, man, I already spent a bunch of money on this equipment uh, to extract. Like, how do I even start to get into fiber and some of these other textile
1: options for for hemp it's like how do you where do you start that's a great question And so don't quit everything you know it's just saying you need to start looking right. ahead so keep working through your machinery mm-hmm. and I always tell people if you can get a long term lease on that machinery to get more cash flow is better um, and start educating yourself on the fiber industry because to me the fiber industry there's a machine called a decorticator and it's well known technology that can make this but just not a lot of companies have done it for the to the hemp using hip fiber in, as a decorticator because everybody want to make money on CBD. So if you have a very limited amount of crop that you can grow, you're going to grow it for the highest dollar amount. So he- hemp plants that, that genetics for, for good CBD, which is the big buds, you know, they have the oil. Um, and then the hemp for fl- for fiber grows more with a stalk. So it looks more like bamboo grows about 16 feet tall. Um, very tight, like, uh, whether it be a bamboo tr- farm and then they cut all that down to make the fiber. So, I think that's where they can start educating themselves. Also, they can start uh, talking to farmers who are currently growing it, start educating about how it's grown, how it's differently, and then what kind of machinery you need to look into purchasing. Um, to give you an example, a decorticator will probably run between two hundred fifty dollars and three dollars to $400,000. Um, and so I tell people, look, if you're going to look to get into it, then go to other places that currently have it. Um, you know, if it's a, a, if it's a company that's in you're, in, you're in Georgia and the company's in Idaho, offer to fly out there and taking them to lunch and see if they'll show you the industry and, and explain to what they're doing out there. Because a lot of times people are interested in, in growing and diversifying. And so if you can go out and be the bigger person and go out there and say, hey, can I learn from you? And can can I'll be more than happy to give you what I know and I'll take you to lunch. And I got to tell you, that's that's how I got a, a job um, offer from a major California cannabis firm um, and back in 2013. So, I mean, I went, I, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to learn and I called this, this world famous place and I called and said, Hey, I just wanted to tour and come out there and learn. Um, and he met me. He's like, well, let's, let's meet at a Starbucks. I'm like, okay. So I meet at a Starbucks and they're, they're way out West and I'm in Florida. And I just started talking about my vision for the industry and what I see. And he literally, um, he said, well, I want you to create a, a job position for yourself to you, for you to come us to manage the East coast operations. Cause we're looking for people like you. So it turned out it just wasn't a Good fit, but the point is, is by just doing that and being curious and be willing to go out there and try something new. Um, I got a job offer out of nowhere that I never thought I would get. So as you learn, so you weren't more, even looking for that. I wasn't even looking for it, and it got me thinking. And so what I find is. What what on my path is it's just been a very rocky path. It's not easy. Um, You have to be very self-motivated especially as processing you need to you need to be able to get your product out Um, The the new market is going to definitely be Europe because we're getting ready to have a glut of oil um, Or or processed materials, however you want to call it and we have a higher standard here than they do in Europe And so we're going to be able to get um, Still pretty good pricing over there and we have a higher quality than what they have in Europe so That's where I see the big uh, leader on the processing side. I think um, it's where you start looking for new markets that are opening up because remember, CBD is 100% legal, theoretically. So you need to start looking into these Mm -hmm. new markets because other countries will follow suit um, and be able to import those products. So, for example, in the UK, about 70 to 80% of all CBD consumed is bought online. So, cause there's not many stores right now. So the online market in Europe is exploding in growth. And so people are looking for very good quality, uh, American brands and they're looking for, uh, compliant brands, meaning you have to have third party testing and you have to be GMP or good manufacturing practice approved. Um, and if you're not – and some, some places require EU or European Union good manufacturing practices. So if you're not uh, that mm. – don't have that GMP certification, you need to get it because the first question that I get for people looking for product is we can't accept anything that's not GMP compliant. So you don't even get a seat at the table. So you got to get out there and start working on that. And so that's stuff that we do and we help clients get GMP approved um, because we have connections all over the world who make that happen, not just for uh, the cannabis space, but most of them came out of pharmaceuticals.
0: Gotcha. Now, do you think that consumers know what that is? You know, when, when you see on the little supplement bottles or, or of course some of the CBD companies are, uh, or whatnot and they have GMP and they have, you know, they say quality and all that kind of stuff, do, do consumers know like what on that quality front? I know that people are looking for that sort of transparency of they want to know that what they're buying, what's in the bottle is safe and healthy and is going to help them. But, you know, on that that safety or quality side, What are they looking for?
1: You know what they're looking for? They're looking for a product that what it says it is, is what's in the bottle. And so to me as a processor, if I'm smart, I'm going to go out and say, you know what? I'm going to I tell people all this. You're not selling product. You're selling trust. Whoever sells trust best is going to win. So figure out your business plan. How do you sell trust? Do you do it through words? Do you do it through the ability to check your lab reports on your QR code? Do you do it through education? What makes you different? Why should somebody buy your product? Because you can't say it cures cancer or anything else. So you have to talk about your purity. Right. And I think it's up to the providers or the the, um, the the people who have the product is to do the education. Because the way I look at this is you can brand yourself as education. You could go out and run with it. And everybody must have, may have to have lab testing. But if you say we're 100% lab tested, 99% accuracy. Well, if people come back and see in the industry say, well, everything's 99% accurate. Well, it doesn't matter. They think you're not. In that. Hmm. You're the best because you claimed it because nobody else thought of it. So we see that example mm-hmm. all the time through through marketing. And so a lot of it is you have the ability to shape, shape your market. But I always remind people in the hemp CBD and, and oils businesses, you got to sell trust. You got to figure out the best way to do that. And most of that is through compliance, because if you can gain their trust, you can sell them anything.
0: I, I don't remember the uh, the exact story but uh, there was something about uh Schlitz back in the I don't know like 50s or 60s the the that beer which is uh, extremely tasty for <laughs> only for college students probably um but uh, they were touring around a a main or a marketing guy in their their brewery and he was just inquiring like oh like what do you guys do like let me just see you know how you process your, how you create your beers so that we can see if we can extract something that we can tell the consumer. And, um, the, the site manager showed him something. I forget exactly what it was, but, uh, the marketing guy was just astounded. He's like, Oh my God, like that's, that sounds incredible. Um, you know, I didn't even know that you guys did that. And the site manager said like, Oh, well, everybody does that. Like that's, it's not a big deal. Uh, But he's like, but who talks about that? Like, you know, which other beer companies mentioned that? He's like, oh, well probably nobody because, because we all do it. But, and so that, that eventually led to the rise of Schlitz back in those decades. um, Just because they were saying, here's what we do, sensationalizing it and making it seem like they were the only ones, but they were all doing it. They were just selling that, that, you know, idea, not necessarily that they were different. They were just better at selling that, that feature,
1: Right. It's like everybody has to follow the same rule. But if you own that rule and say, this is what we do, then if somebody else comes out after you, then it's like, oh, well, you know, they were the first. They they and that to me, what I call is a coin is a term that I coined called imprinting. And so imprinting is like when a baby duck is born and the first thing they see is their mother. OK, well, if you imprint on a customer that you're the best on the planet and there's not a lot of other brands out there who can who can um, say, eat, say otherwise then people are going to believe you. Hmm. So a lot of times, you know, yeah. when you go out and talk with authority in this industry, a lot of people don't, you're not going to meet a guy who was in the hemp and CBD business 20 years ago. You know, you're not going to meet an executive who's been doing this hmm. for 12 years and knows everything. So if you come out of the gates and you have a lot of knowledge, then you're going to get respected. And so that way you can you can, you can can use that to your advantage when you're talking to patients. But the big thing I see in the processing game right now is, It depends on which direction you want to go. You want to do all white label. That's great. So if you're going to build white label, you still have to sell trust because you want them to buy Mm -hmm. your white label product. And then if you're going to sell brand products, it's a whole different conversation. Because to me, I think, you know, people always ask me, well, do brands matter? And will brands be relevant? And my answer is short answer is yes. Brands will always be relevant. You know, which brands can we point to today? that are going to be billion dollars in the future. Probably in the most of the stuff that's out there right now will not be there in the future because it'll either get gobbled up by another company or there's going to be a new product that comes out. And I always use the um, Netscape example. So for those of you who are old enough and oh, remember yeah. the Internet, when the Internet started, they, we didn't really have – we didn't have Microsoft Windows. And so literally you couldn't do much of anything on a computer. And so this company called Netscape came out and was the first – was it um, – was it the server, not a server, but it was a software. It was, it was a system to get on the internet. Okay, there we go. It's a browser. Thank you. It was yeah. a browser. So, it's the first browser literally ever invented that got mass appeal. They came out of the gates and they killed it. They made all this money and they were huge. Well, then, but then Microsoft got mad at them and then they took them down through legal channels and just made a better product. And then Microsoft went won and they went bankrupt. So that's where Microsoft won. So just because you have leaders today doesn't mean they're going to be leaders in two years. And so what we're finding, and you're seeing this in the yeah. cannabis markets, of so people who follow the cannabis markets right now, you're finding all these early guys who jumped out of the gates who were in it for two to five years. It's showing. They weren't building a, a corporation with a strong foundation. You got these guys like at uh, in Medmen, the company, the publicly traded company, where they're at, They're at. Uh, they've lost ninety percent of their ninety five percent of their value in the last year. And a lot of it is because they grew too fast. You know, they're in 13 countries. I mean, 13 states, and they had a big deal with PharmaCan that fell apart because the value of the stock uh, pummeled, and that's in medical cannabis. But you're going to see a lot of the same things in um, in in hemp and hemp processing because the the values right now are just insane uh, of purchasing these companies and refis and and uh, valuations, and so those are going to be tempered, and so. Don't plan your business on a $50 million valuation, which you could probably get right now as a processor. Plan your business on a $10 million valuation or less, so that way you're bringing value to your investors. And also, you're preparing as a company of a $10 million valuation, and you pay everybody accordingly. Because the biggest thing we're winning is you got to have enough cash to get to the finals and get at least or even the starting line because we all know there's a lot of upfront mm-hmm. cost and so um, you really have to think out your vision because what you if you make a business for today's market you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna think ahead you're gonna be behind already.
0: Michael, let me ask you, um, I usually like to take a look at history just to see if there are any uh, sort of echoes of what we're going through at the moment. Do you have any examples of that? Like anything that, anywhere else that you've seen, uh, maybe not as extreme of a a sort of Wild West that we're experiencing right now, but anything that, any other period of time where we've had this sort of rush to create this industry and, um, you know, not a lot of regulation and people trying to come out of the gate flying, but not really creating a solid foundation and, you know, any, anything that we can extract from that example?
1: Well, it's a, it's a good question. Um, there's, there's two kind of examples. Um, there's nothing exactly like this, but when we came out of prohibition for alcohol back in the thirties. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, we've done this before. We, we came out of prohibition with alcohol. I'm like, well, not really. Because remember, that industry was up and running for like 60 years ahead before then. So when they turned on the faucet again, all the big companies stayed in business. Anheuser-Busch, Schlitz, all those guys, they just made different stuff. Made water, soda, all that type of stuff. And they probably sold a lot of illegal booze. So they still had standards and they yeah. still had regulations. Um, one of the things that is actually comparable for the hemp and CBD is um, after World War II, A lot of Americans came home and grew a lot of uh, crops. And so uh, I think one of the crops is wheat. That's how you make, is it whiskey or bourbon or one of the two, Um, whatever crop that makes bourbon. Well, what happened was Europe was decimated. So Europe had no no food and anything. So a lot of that food was being sent over to uh, Europe. But the U.S. grew so much, the wheat market tanked. So it was so cheap. And so what happened was they used that wheat to make alcohol, to make bourbon, and they sent it over to Europe and they figured out another way to make money on it because the prices tank so much. So they had to be innovative and and ingenious in how they use that crop. And so they came up with bourbon. And that's why bourbon is big in Europe today. I did not know that. I was was told to to, uh, 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 a guy who told me that story. So it, it makes a lot of sense. So with that, to me, that's where we are right now. The prices are going to plummet with hemp. What can you do with hemp that is not being done? And I mentioned before, doing fiber, doing polymers, doing plastics. Start to figure out where the bottlenecks are going to be. As we move forward in society, there's going to be a bigger push to do with more natural fibers and things that are, that are better for the environment. You, uh, growing cotton uses a ton of pesticides. So uh, hemp literally uses zero cotton is like i said an 8 8th eight, uh, month growing cycle and cannabis excuse me hemp is only 4 months so you know The thing is moving in that direction. And so figure out what the next big thing is going to be in hemp. And and so what I see is all the uses that we don't have now. Imagine if you get a contract with BMW to do plastic doors, through hemp doors, or you get a hemp Mm -hmm. concrete contract or a hemp drywall contract, and you're making drywall for homes because everything's going to switch. Here in Florida, we had a whole big problem, a, a thing called Chinese drywall. And this was about 10 years ago. And all these homes were had all these drywall that was made in China, what had all these chemicals in it. And what they found is the air quality in the home was at disastrous levels. Like people were getting sick and... You had to literally rip out the whole inside Mm. of the house and it was a nightmare. So using natural products, I think everything's going back to the future. Everything's going back to homemade, back to organic, back to natural. But the challenge is we need to do it on an industrial level. Well, that's where hemp allows you to do that. It allows us to build build new materials like crazy made of hemp because we'll have plenty of acreage to do it. So that's where I see the future going. Um, One of the things I did see the other day was these these, 3D houses. These, these house, you have this machine and it comes on site and it literally prints your house out in oh, a day. Yeah. And so what we're finding is that is something I think with hemp concrete is going to be massive for these pre-made houses because they can build them for, say, $10,000 for a 10,000 square – no, I mean a 1,000 square foot home in a day. You know, and so with our housing crisis uh, around the world, this could be something that could be uh, eco-friendly. You can do it very quickly and you can pump out a lot of houses in a short amount of time. So hemp plays a major role at that table. And so if you're the type of processor who has the vision to start looking at these te- technologies now, I'm not saying change your whole business model, but start investing in time and education and start th- seeing what's coming ahead so you can be prepared. You know, but
0: the the image that I got when you were talking about the, the printing and making it home in the day was the uh, the Jetsons, right? You, do you remember that show? Mm-hmm. And that's what the where feature's is going to be. The, I think it was in the intro. Yeah, I think it was in the intro where they you know they would show homes being built in
1: like you know two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's where we're going, right? And so hemp plays a big 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 role in that. And so if you can be the hemp processor who can process that much equipment, because what I see happening in the hemp game is kind of what happened in the citrus industry in the state of Florida. So um, if you're not familiar, Florida is really, really big in, in um – citrus for years. And, and recently we've had a, a, a blight that's been a condition called greening. It's some sort of bacteria that kills a fruits, kind of like a cancer and they can't cure it. But um, before that became an issue, 20 years ago, um, citrus farms were everywhere here in the state of Florida and they only had a certain amount of processing. Well, over time, the, the levels of citrus stabilized and the market stabilized. So the market was very, uh, would change a little bit every year, but it wasn't drastic. So I see over time that happening in But it's going to take about five to six years to really start getting to that happy medium of supply and demand because the market's still just trying to figure itself out right now. And so we we have to, as an investor or as a business person, you really have to start, start accounting for the unknowns. And so in this business, I say it's usually 20, 30, 30 percent of your, your business needs to be focused on the unknowns and the, and the, and the future, because your business is going to change over time. If you are a company, and I tell people all this all the time, if you're a company that has CBD in your name, your, your dates, your days are numbered because when a new cannabinoid (laughs) comes along, what are you going to call yourself then? You know, world's best <laughs> CBG, world's best TCHA. So think about that moving forward. The, the cannabinoids coming down the pike, if you're a processor, you should be able to extract all of them. And again, that's where your value is. Look at the ki- kilogram price of CBG compared to CBD. It's astronomical. And then THCV and THCA. And yeah. so that's where I see the huge value chain taking, taking hold
0: it's kind of like those uh stores what is it like uh tires and more right it's like you have to kind of guess to see what what else they do right. <laughs> plus um, or things so like let's that. L- let's take a yeah, yeah. so l- let's uh take a trip overseas so what uh what should we know about international uh cbd hemp production
1: they need processors they need knowledge they have money but they don't have the knowledge So I tell people a lot of times we, we get approached, we're working on a deal right now to get a pharmaceutical schedule one, basically DEA license in a, in a country in Africa. Um, you know, I already know I've got three or four processors I'm going to reach out to because I'm like, OK, this is going to be a major job, five hundred, seven dollars job. I'm going to need people on site for X amount of months. I need people I can trust. And so those are the companies I'm going to go to who have the, the bankroll themselves to be able to do a $750,000,000 million job and do it right and do it on time and do it on schedule. So I'm looking, you know, I know I'm just one of many companies who are looking for People who can do that. So what I see is is uh, the companies or processors they really need to start thinking about overseas shipments because start start talking with people overseas now. Start building relationships now with people you can trust. Go to conferences overseas. Um, for example, I'm I'm lucky enough. I'm speaking in New Zealand at the world the New Zealand's first medical cannabis conference ever. It's going to be in March 2020, and I looked at the speaker list, and I'm I, I'm the only American there as of right now. So. I'm going into these markets, and so any American companies that I know are good, I can sit there and we can work together because, you know, I tell people, look at me as a general contractor. I'm going into these markets. I'm speaking in nine countries next year. I'm going to all these new markets and having all these tons of leads for all these types of services. I need financing. I need funding. I need equipment. I need compliance. I need this. I need that. And so we come in and say, okay, we're going to work through our partners to give you this, 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 and this, and so we can coordinate these with... With major groups in in uh, Europe, Africa, Asia, um, because those are the new markets. And so we need to use our skills as Americans to go over there and help these groups. So the, the growth is, is going to be massive in the U.S., but companies in the U.S. who can really think outside the box and start advertising themselves overseas will do very well because you're going into a new sandbox and there's not a lot of players. So again, if you can imprint in mm-hmm. South Africa, imprint in other countries that you're the best from the U.S., then you can really, really do well. And then is this uh producing in the States
0: and somehow uh shipping overseas or is it implanting yourself in that foreign country to extract and,
1: and sell? I think it's both. I think what you do is both. there's a lot of countries that are opening up the, the regulation to where they'll allow CBD imports. Well, you need to know that and you need to know have the groups already ready to go. So when that does happen, you can start importing via your current supplier in Europe that you can already get your product into those countries. Because if you can come in first, then you can make the, you can make a ton of money and you can start branding from day one in a whole new culture. So whether you go to Poland or Czechoslovakia or Macedonia, I mean, people don't think about those countries. But remember, if you can sell them 10,000 bottles of your product a month, those are sales. And they're going to be at a high rate because, remember, they're using euros. The euro right now is about $1.20 US. So if I can sell products at the same price and make a little bit better margins, the people in Europe think it's cheap. So you get a better quality product at a cheaper price. Mm. That's what the American product is going to be. And so tapping into those markets and making those connections now are going to help you over the next three to five years. And also that's on the that's on the uh, supply side. If it's the operational side, if you know how to run these, that's a huge skill because all these people overseas need training and they need to be able to have equipment and the newest equipment because. The future is I can be a processing company in Missouri and I can sit there and monitor all my all my machinery from all over the world via cameras now. So I can monitor all these these places in these, these different countries by having people in the states. So well, you use technology to identify problems and then you don't have to go overseas as much and you train people overseas to do things. And with technology, you can fix them um, uh, remotely. And you don't have to physically be there as much interesting almost like a uh, like drone operators of sorts Just, well the, this uh, is the future and let me yes yeah, f- communication that's a perfect example so jason so this is the future the future is a hemp farmer in missouri gets up and he goes to his computer and he puts on his virtual reality glasses and then he takes control of a drone in thailand and so he picks it up and now he's in control of a drone in thailand and he flies around the hemp field and he looks at the hemp field and makes sure it's okay and he waves and talks to the employees via the drone hey how y'all doing and they says it and automatically translate it into uh, Taiwanese or Thailandese and what are they Thai? And so and then he lands the drone. And then what he does for investors, he's like, hey, you want to see our operation in Thailand or our operation in India? And they do the same thing. And the investor sits down with their virtual reality glasses and they fly around the actual grow in real time and see it. That's where we're going. So that's how you have to think. And so if you can manage these operations overseas from sitting on your couch or in your office in Iowa or Ohio Mm -hmm. or wherever you are in Georgia, what have you. So that is what the future is. And it's working smarter, not harder, because that way you can do more in a short amount of time. And then you don't have to physically be there all the time and you can monitor what's going on.
0: Hmm very interesting that's that sounds super exciting um i think you know thinking about international it's at the same time it sounds uh complex and overwhelming almost like where do you even like i would assume obviously talking to somebody like you but generally where do you start thinking about
1: okay well maybe i should look at africa or you know denmark or whatever where do you start you start at conferences that's what I tell everybody. Go to conferences, interact with people. That's why you pay to go to conferences. The, the conferences in Europe, they're about <clears throat> they're about three years behind the U.S. So like I, I was lucky enough to speak. I spoke this summer in London at the first London CBD Expo. And so it was probably about a thousand, two thousand people there. And it's a great list of speakers. But that could have been a show in Nashville or it could have been a show in Louisville. And it probably would have gotten the same. Um, response. And London is a city of what, I don't know, 8 or 9 million people or something. So what we're seeing is there the cannabis industry and the hemp industry five years ago was kind of nascent. And now they've gone through this massive growth in less than a year. So I mean, like last year, this 2019, I spoke in four countries. Next year, I'm speaking in nine because I went over there and I went to conferences and I met a lot of people. And so they said, why don't you come speak here? We need this. We don't understand this. Can you please help us? And so um, as as a a processor, I go to the shows in London. I go to the show in Dublin, whatever country you want to operate in. Just go meet people. Everybody at these shows that typically go, most people are in the business. For example, I was. Uh, Again, lucky enough to be part of a judge of a, a competition called the World CBD Awards, where there was actual objective grading through lab testing and independent judging panels to pick the best products in the world. And so it was in Barcelona, Spain in July of 2019. And so I went and I met... There was about 500 people there and they were all business to business. Very high level people who needed help from the U.S., who needed processors, who needed people who knew knowledge. Because what we're seeing right now, Jason, is overseas, you got a lot of businessmen who want to get into the game, but they have nobody they can go to who understands the business. So if you can go over and understand the business and talk about these processors, you have a lot of knowledge they don't have. I mean, I deal with people who are PhDs in molecular biology, but they don't understand hemp processing because they've never done it. You know, it's, to me, it's more of an art right now than a science It's moving towards a science, but the art is always going to be there. And so having that knowledge of the years that has been done here by some companies is use that knowledge and take it around the world now because uh, globally the the market is very, very small. And I kind of use the analogy of the global market of influencers in this business globally is can feel probably like a big high school basketball stadium in another two <laughs> years. It's going to not be able to feel, um, uh, The uh, Michigan football stadium of 102,000 people. It's just going to grow so fast. So if you can get in now and meet people now, then you can meet the movers and shakers, which you can become one in the next two to three years because you're that far, much farther ahead. A lot of people look to take the easy way out and go locally. Well, in, in the States, you could do that, but think about how many people are coming behind you, getting ready to do the same thing you're doing right now. They're going to drive your prices down so low. Mm -hmm. So if you go ahead and tap into Europe now, when the market crashes here, you're still selling it for the same amount you're selling it for now, two years from now. And that's success. Because the product, the Mm -hmm. price is going to go down globally. Mm So start really thinking about these other markets, learning about them, go to these shows. Um, If you don't know anybody, you can call our company. We can work through um, different companies and we can use you as a resource. The way we typically operate, we operate as a general contractor. So companies come to me and say, hey, I do this, that, and this other. And then they tell me, I explain what the job is. And then they send me a bid and then we submit it as a total package to the client. Just like if we're building a huge hotel or building something else big, we become the general contractor. We manage that project. We manage all the subs. So there could be a financing sub. There could be an operational sub. There could be an education sub. There could be a processing sub. There could be a, a hemp uh, cultivation expert sub. And what we do is we coordinate all that. We The legal team will coordinate all that. And so we like to deal with companies in the U.S. who are very knowledgeable and have the ability through, through working with us to go global. And can really back up what they do on a large scale, because that's where the industry is going. This massive industrialization has not happened overseas. So the big market is going to be coming in and doing these massive processing of, you know, hundreds, uh, hundreds of liters a day, 200, 300, 400, 500 liters a day are coming because CBD and these products are going to be industrial scale. You're going to be having as an additive in everything under the sun at rock bottom prices because these other countries in Asia and around the equator are going to be growing biomass cheaper than we can do it in the US. So how do you compete? You get out now with the technology, the IP, and your knowledge of, of the specific formulations. That's how we you win this game because you're not going to be able to compete on biomass sales of hemp with countries like Namibia and Malawi where they're doing it for less than one cent a pound. You know what I'm saying? It's just rock bottom Mm -hmm. prices you'll never be able to beat so use your science use use technology to your advantage to where you can go over there you can help these people and you can open processing plants over there and you can be inside the game and be inside that business because that'll bring you more opportunity it may sound a little daunting Hmm. (laughs) but What's more daunting, being in a business that you're an, a dinosaur two, in two years or thinking ahead and being able to be in the game still in two years and not owe all your investors debt and look at them in the face and say, I wish I could have done something else. Or I wish I would have listened to that guy who yeah. kept rambling on about Europe on that podcast with Jason De Los Santos. You know I'm <laughs> <saying>? <laughs> so to me is uh, I'm trying funny. to help. I'm saying, yeah. look, let's, let's get out there and let's start helping these countries and you can help others and do a great thing and make good money.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about some personal stuff, um, with, um, your, your circle of, let's say friends or family. I'm just curious, um, do, what what are people's perspective? Like when you went from a pretty conservative industry, right, healthcare, senior living, those kinds of things, and all of a sudden you go into hemp, and uh, you know, did people look at you like you had three heads? Like where folks say, like oh, you well, know, how they looked at me, they looked at me like they looked
1: at me like, I, they looked at me like I was going to steal their kids. I mean, it was just so silly. It's <laughs> like what, like perfect example. And my girlfriend hates this, but for. We've been together eight years. For two years, I could not tell her friends what I did. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Well, and then everybody's mm-hmm. like, why did you stay with her? It's a long story. And I lived by myself at that time, <laughs> so I didn't really care. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we didn't live sure. together at the time. So we now live together. But now the, the evolution. So, so to answer your question, it was very difficult. I was taking a, a step out. I've mm-hmm. basically been ostracized by the nursing home uh, industry because of what I do. And I don't care anymore because I'm at the age where I'm 40. What am I? 47, 47 now. And I just don't care to me is we need to move forward and use the knowledge to make this better. And what I found is I was in the, the position to where I knew this stigma would, would go away. And I knew if I started when I did, you know, late t- t- 2013, um, I knew I had to start then because I knew this was going to be massive. And I'm doing things now that I never thought I would ever You know, negotiating deals with governments on hemp and CBD and cannabis. thats just crazy talk, Mm -hmm. you know, so but it's just so fun because wherever you go and whatever you do in this industry, the plant is what connects everybody. And if you keep that in mind and look at that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm meeting people from all over the world I never would have crossed paths with unless it was for the plant. You know, I learned on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. If, if you're not on LinkedIn, you need to get on LinkedIn right now. The the cannabis and CBD and hemp market, the number one um, social media platform is LinkedIn, period, bar none. You're going to learn so much. Uh, everybody's on there. And also from the European flare, 60 to 70 percent on link, people on LinkedIn are, are on LinkedIn outside the United States. That's a lot of people. So a lot of people overseas use LinkedIn. People think it's so complicated to deal with people overseas. It's not. WhatsApp, FaceTime audio, all this stuff's free now. Zoom, there's no excuse to sit there. There's no added cost. It's just figuring out time zones. (laughs) You know, like for me, I do all my European Mm -hmm. stuff in the morning. I do USA in the midday and I do Asia at night because it's their next day. You know, you're dealing with New Zealand and it's 19 hours ahead. So I call them at six Mm. o'clock at night. It's like noon there the next day. It just takes a while to get used to, you know, but it's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's great that we have such a, it's like a lot of things converging, to
1: make it the right time for this to happen right you know, you're like not you gonna saying, find technology it's Jason yeah. it's everything so that's why you're not gonna find another time and, and if everybody's like well I wish I would have known I'm, I'm calling everybody out this is the time if you want to get in you need <laughs> to do it now okay so don't sell nobody ever told you so I'm telling you right now so you need to get involved and so if you don't know how or where or why that's okay I didn't know either And so now I know exactly where I'm going because it took me six and a half years to get there. But now you don't have to go through the things that like I went through and others. There's avenues for you to get into this business. And if you're listening to this and you want to get into this business and you don't know how, start by what you're good at. Don't look at the business. Look at what you're good at. Are you good at being compliant? Are you good at uh, educating people? Are you good at leading a team? Are you good at HR? Then start going to shows in the States and start figuring out what do they need? Because half the time, how are you going to know where you fit unless you know how the system works? And the number one recommendation people say, what do I need to do to get into the, the business? I say, read the law. Whatever state you're in, if you want to go in the hemp business, read the state law hemp. Then read the Farm Bill 2018. If you want to go into medical cannabis in Iowa, read the Iowa medical cannabis law. they are only 60 to 80 pages. Find out what the system demands. For example, if I'm an IT guru mm. and I'm into blockchain or I'm into crypto, well, if I read that law and it says you have to have a certain amount of payment and a certain amount of time or certain amount of tracking for computers or whatever, well, then there's an opportunity for me to bring value. So you really have to understand what kind of value do you provide? And then you need to understand where the industry is and understand what they need to be able to provide it. Because what I see a lot is a lot of our clients, they come to us and... <laughs> I I love them, but but, um, some of them don't know what they're doing. They literally don't know what direction they're going in. And I said, you know what? That's okay. You don't have to figure it all out right now. That's why you got us. So we work with groups who are are bringing a lot of money to the table and they're getting hot on, like, oh, uh, uh, isolate's going to be big. Isolate's going to be big. And we need to pump all this money into isolate. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a chemist. But I can tell you now, the market's going to change in two to three years. So if you're only going to, you're going to invest $50 million in isolate uh, materials and and only do an isolate, what happens if full spectrum comes big? What happens when some new technique comes along right. and you invested all this money? So it's just giving perspective and helping them lead because our goal is to help them see the forest through the trees because I've got these people um, who will do the, the multi-level marketing, the canaways and the CTFOs, and I have nothing against that. It's just not my thing but they'll contact me and be like, "Oh, I'm selling my new line. It's great. It's awesome." I was like, "Oh, okay. How long have you been doing this?" 2 weeks. You know, it's like, really? <laughs> I just started. Right. So so I get the uh, enthusiasm, but but uh, uh, another uh, um suggestion I would make very strongly is you got to read and you got to read some more and you got to read some more. So, um if you follow please if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, um it's Michael Patterson US Cannabis. Pharmaceutical research and development to send over a like and I usually bring on as many people as I can because once you get on there and you see how much I post and all the stuff I post about it's all rules laws trends um, different things happening in the industry and most people get on there like wow a lot of stuff. I'm like, I know. And it's every single day this market changes. So I remember doing a call um, right. with a, with a financial firm and that morning, something huge happened in the market. And they say, can you tell us, you know, what's going on in the market and how current it is? And I was like, well, as of this morning, this happened here yesterday, this happened yesterday that happened. And so also I find the more you read and the more you understand and the more you learn, the better you feel. And you're not as fearful. Because I've learned this like let me give you a perfect example. So I was dealing with a guy in a state, I won't tell you where, and he comes to us and says, Hey, we're gonna apply for a medical marijuana license. I'm like, okay, great. Um, can we have a call next week? I'm like, yeah. So I printed off the law and read the law. It took me 30 minutes. Okay. I get on the phone the next day, and the guy sends me his pitch deck, which if you don't know, is just like a PowerPoint presentation to pitch your 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 investment. And he had four slides on there and they were horrible. And then he proceeds to tell me that he's going to build a building in this city, this very large city, and be able to be up and operational um, in two years. And I'm like, well, that's great. But obviously he didn't read the law because the law said you had to be up and operational in eight months. So he didn't even hmm. read the law and he was pitching me a deal that he knew nothing about and he had no concept because he never even read the law. So when you get into the business, if you go to these conferences, read ahead of time and have a little bit of base of knowledge on what you're getting into, because you got a lot of charlatans and people who are full of crap out there. And they'll try to tell you they know everything and I know this and I know that. And, and most of the times, I would say by probably 60, 50 percent of the time, they don't know what they know. They have a very limited knowledge of a certain state in a certain place. And that's OK. That's going to be they've more specialized in, say, California or Ohio or Illinois. And you need that. You know, when people say, you know, there's a whole debate online about calling people experts and non-experts. And so my thing is, I just mm-hmm. know a lot of stuff about this industry because all I do is this. You know, this is what I do every single day. Um of the week and nights and weekends, just because I love it. I love doing this. And I, I see this industry really helping our planet and really moving things forward. And so if you're really passionate about something like this, start looking into it now. So when you need to make a transition, um, you can do it. Like for me, it took me five years to transition full time into cannabis. It took me that long. I had to work other jobs. I was working three or four jobs at one time until I could get enough to where I could sit there and do this full time. So now we've been full time for multiple years. We've got a good staff, got moving good. And it's still always, always stressing about making sure you meet your margins, making sure you meet your quotas and all that type of stuff, because we got to make sure that we can grow with our customers and our clients because the, bu- the business is growing and we got to be there to help them. So look at how you can provide value. Look at what's important to you and look at how you can sit there and make other people's lives better. Then the money will follow.
0: That, those are wise words do you um you mentioned reading and uh, obviously the laws are foundational you, you got to know what what you're dealing with what you can do and what you can't do do you um, before I ask this question like, do you also seem to have some good mental models for operating in this industry which is it's not for the the faint of heart do you have any other maybe books or resources that you read or, or listen to that are not specifically about cannabis? Like just curious about sort of forming your mindset to operate in this industry.
1: Um, one of the things I recommend is, um, it's a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. If you don't know of him, he's a, he's a big social media guy. Yeah. Gary, um, v. Gary V. Gary Vee. And so if you don't know, just Google Gary V. or YouTube Gary Vee and you'll see what I'm talking about. He, he, he's about my age. He really speaks of substance in your life. Um, he really speaks about vision um, and focusing on providing that value because we can do a podcast or we can put up social media stuff but there's no content there's no there's no feeling or emotion behind it and nobody's really going to look at it and uh there's another book uh there's a book mm-hmm. I like called good to great if you're younger you probably don't know this book it's the oh, guy yeah. by Jim yeah. Jim, jim Collins. Collins yep see and so what i find is jim is uh that book i i've read it when it came out years ago and i always kind of refer back to that book um, of of why it uh it's important to look at your whole industry. Also, what I recommend is start looking for partnerships. If you've never run a company and you're expecting to run a two or three hundred person p- company, you need to gonna have people on your team who've run a company. Also, I recommend putting your ego at the door because you're going to mess you you're going to you're going to end up hurting yourself because if you think you can do it all and you're not going to allow anybody else into your little world and and you're going to keep 100% of your company or if that's what you want to do and and, and not bring other other wise people in then you're probably going to fail or you're going to miss something because nowadays with technology things are going to move so fast that you have to bring in a team and I talk about the Ocean's 11 effect a lot uh, the movie Ocean's 11 where you know they brought all these individuals together to do to rob a bank. I'm not talking about robbing a bank, but people who have a (laughs) master's in their skill set to bring together to accomplish amazing things in a short amount of time, because those are the types of companies that are more profitable than ones that can move quicker and the ones that'll be a better takeover target. So if you're if your goal is to sell out one day, you have to put in great people who can put in great systems. And then that way you're going to be more valuable as a company.
0: Yeah. It's still, even though there are a lot of opportunities, it's still about people. It is. Um, like you're saying, you gotta, you, you, you can't just do it on your own. Um, let's see, Michael, I think that's probably a good place to start wrapping up. Do you have any message or question or call to action to that you want to leave people with something that you want people to remember?
1: Um, the biggest thing is you got to follow your, your inner gut. You got to follow what you're sitting there. And if you're going to the same job, like I was over and over and over and not feeling like you were, you were doing the thing you were supposed to do. Um, you need to go listen to that voice because life is short. I mean, I, I started getting into this when I'm 47, like at 40, you know, people's like, oh, that's late, but we're going to live hopefully a hundred years. And so I didn't, the biggest thing I said, I was, when I finally got past the point of, of, Being scared to fail, then I was ready to move forward. If that, if some of you have been in that position Mm -hmm. where you're just scared to fail, well, you're going to fail. Okay. You're going to, it's going to be harder than you ever thought you could, but do you want to live your life the way you're living it if you're not happy? And so I kind of got to that point in my life to where I just wasn't happy. I wasn't being fulfilled. I knew I could do more. And so um, I started to listen to that voice and I'm so glad I did of all that, that heartache that, that, uh, I had all those years and nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody understands what you're going through. But if you know, you're listening to your gut and then you have to commit to it. You have to sit there and get up and go do your stuff and not procrastinate because success is about you doing what you need you need to do to make yourself better. And so, you know, for me, I've done I've been lucky enough to do a lot of different types of things and manage a lot of people. And at some point in my life I made a lot of money and and a lot of other points in my life I didn't make any money. And so you really have to take the money out of it. You have to follow your your heart. And once you start doing that, then you start educating yourself. And you gotta educate yourself about the business. But Life is too short to be miserable. And you don't want to pass that on to your children to say, I stayed in a job because it was safe and reliable. And so the story I like to lead people is with Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey is a comedian. If you don't know him, he's been on a lot of different things. And so um, his dad, uh, he grew up in Canada. His dad was an accountant, but his dad always wanted to be a comedian. Well, he never had the guts to do it because he wanted to play it safe. Well, being an accountant, he got fired and lost his job. And so his whole life was put into turmoil. And so what Jim learned at a young age is just because you play it safe doesn't mean you're going to succeed. So if you don't know if you're going to succeed or not, go for the fences, because that way, at least you got the best shot in doing what you love.
0: That's that's a great place to leave people with. Uh, Michael, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. So look at me, just uh, put in search, Michael Patterson, U.S. Cannabis Pharmaceutical Research and Development. And I'd love to bring you on the um, my team and kind of look at all the knowledge. And if I can help you, let me know.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Michael, I learned quite a bit. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge, uh, your insights. Um, It's uh, something that I'll definitely be pouring over my notes for a a few times over the next few days. And uh, I sincerely just want to say thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And guys, thanks for listening. It was fun.
0: Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.